<clears throat> all right, uh, we all have characters in our lives. I think we can all attest to that. I've got a boatload in mind. God knows that to be true. Uh, in my neighborhood, uh, I've got characters at work, in my family, and even here at church. And wherever there are characters, unfortunately, there are character flaws. Now, I'm going to mention some things uh, that don't pertain to Polaris because we all know Polaris is a perfect church and none of those things could actually happen inside the walls of Polaris. So everything that I'm going to speak about is about all the other churches out there. In these other churches, uh, the character flaws that they have can actually tear a church apart. The way we act, the way we speak, the way we carry ourselves, they destroy other people's faith and drive people away from the church. And I know there are a lot of things that people do and that churches do, and that people say, and that uh, churches say, that can drive people uh, away from God and, and away from the church. But I'm going to focus on one this morning. And that one thing I'm going to focus on is hypocrisy. And uh, we're going to be working still in the, in the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 23 and chapter 6. Uh, there are Bibles at the end of the rows. They, they, there should be. Uh, the green Bibles, if you guys want to follow along with those, I encourage you guys to follow along, even though the words will be up on the screen, the scriptures will be on the screen, to get in the habit of, of following along in the Bibles. Um, and if you don't have a Bible to read at home, take one of those home with you. That's a gift from Polaris. Um, if I could have slide number one. It's on page 693 uh, of the Green Bibles. Uh, Book of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 27 and 28. All right. Matthew 23, 27 to 28. Jesus said this to the spiritual leaders of his time. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees. You hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus had a problem with hypocrites in his day, and Jesus has a problem with hypocrites today. And hypocrites have been around forever. And to some degree, everybody's a hypocrite at one time or another. I know I am. And unfortunately, hypocrisy is one of the most dangerous things that occur in our churches today. And I'm going to give you a clear illustration of hypocrisy. It has nothing to do with church or God, but it's a clear illustration. A salesman had come home from a business trip. And a plane taxis up to the gate. Salesman comes out of the gate. His wife meets him at the gate. They make their way to the baggage claim. And while they're at the baggage claim, this very attractive stewardess comes walking by the businessman. He looks up at her, she gives him a big smile, and he says to her, have a great week, Karen. The wife looks at her husband and she says, you don't mind me asking, how did you know the steward is his name? And he said, well, honey, thinking he's all cool and he's got this covered, right by the cockpit, there's the names listed of the pilot, the co-pilot, and the stewardess. To which she replies, it's very observant of you. Could you tell me the name of the pilot and the co-pilot? <laughs> Guy gets busted, right? We see his motives. His hypocrisy is exposed, and Jesus was fed up with this hypocrisy in his day because the Pharisees and Sadducees appeared to be righteous outwardly, all in appearance, but inwardly their motives were evil, and they did more to drive people away from God than to bring people to him. And they were the best at appearing good from the outside when they were actually unfaithful on the inside. When they would fast, they would disfigure their faces and make themselves look all unkempt so that people knew they were fasting. And if people didn't notice it that way, they would do something or say something that would cause people to ask why they're in that condition so they could spout their spirituality of how great they are that they were fasting. It was all wrong. They're hypocrites. Slide two, please. Page 678 of the Green Bibles. 
be Matthew 6, uh, 16 through 18. Jesus had to confront the issue with this hypocrisy publicly, something that he had to do. So in Matthew 6, this is what he says to the people. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. And I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus was fed up with hypocrites. And what he's telling us in this passage, if the reward you want from fasting is admiration from others, then you're probably going to get it. But you'll forfeit the reward that God has for that fasting. And it's not just about fasting. In the Bible, and you're going to pick one topic, you can insert any action where it says fasting. Whether you're, you're giving money, whether you're helping out a neighbor, whether you're being charitable, all those things fit right into that. And the, and the thing about it is we don't boast or brag about those things. And you know what I'm talking about. You can, you can do things, and you feel so good inside that you're doing it, you just got to let somebody know. So you phrase the way you bring it up to somebody in a certain way. Or you say something in a certain way so they inquire, and that gives you the open door to say how great you are about what you're doing. And that's not what God wants. Don't boast or brag about the actions that you have. If you're praying and fasting for someone or something, don't throw the blessing away by telling your peers that you are fasting or you're helping out or you're giving money to somebody. That's between you and God, and that's where you need to keep it. Don't exchange the gifts of God for the praise of men, or that's all you're going to get. And the danger of hypocrisy at it, that it is so successful it aims for the praise of men, and it succeeds in getting it. Hypocrites play the game for recognition and for self-glorification, but deep down inside, they're miserable, they're unsatisfied, and they're unfaithful. And hypocrisy is the biggest reason pe people don't go to church anymore. And you've heard it before when the question is asked, why don't people go to church? Why don't you go to church? Well, because church people are hypocrites. Church people have an uppity, holier-than-thou attitude. They're better than me. They're holier than I am. And that's not the image I want my neighbors to have of me. I want to have a genuine relationship with my neighbor. And I want to bring people to God and not drive them away. And I want them to come to church to feel accepted and to feel loved and to feel appreciated. And I want them to know that this is the one place that they can come and, can, and they can encounter God and his people and see a true reflection of who God is. Because even in a, in a church full of hypocrites, we can make a very good first impression. They come in the door, we greet them at the welcome desk, we shake their hand, we're all happy and everything, but all of a sudden they're filling a seat and then we don't, we don't think about them anymore. It's the lasting impression of sincerity that makes the biggest impact, and that's where we need to focus our attention. And if we want to grow a church with God's blessings, then we need to be a place where people do feel accepted and loved, and the only way they're going to feel that way is if we do truly accept them. People can see through phony Christians. They can sense hypocrisy. So the question is, how do we get rid of the hypocrisy in our lives? And if we want to understand how to get rid of the problem, I think first we need to identify it. So if I could have slide three, we need to be clear on what people mean when they call people hypocrites. What is the definition of, uh, definition of hypocrisy? Or as I said in the first service, hypocrisy. Depends how you want to pronounce that. Hypocrisy is the practice of professing beliefs, feelings, or virtues that we don't really have. It's a falseness. People who profess to have a higher standard of living but don't live by that, hypocrite. People who pretend to care about others, but they don't really care about others, hypocrite. People who put on a show of righteousness, they're hypocrites. 
They're fake. And too many churches are not genuine today. They profess to believe the word of God, but they're not really good at showing it. The result of Christians who live in a manner that's contrary to their beliefs is condemnation, not only for them, but for everybody around them. Being a hypocrite is like being a vacuum cleaner. You just suck in all the glory and fame and everything for yourselves. When we represent God and then live contrary to his word, we tell the world that his word doesn't work. That's the message we're giving them. And then the people we encounter wonder, how can it work in my life if it doesn't work in theirs? Too confusing. And what non-believers and curious Christians need to see and feel is sincerity from someone and for someone to be genuine. They need to see Christians who will show them friendships and acceptance, even when it's not comfortable and when it's not convenient. They need to be with people who will love unconditionally like Jesus did. Genuine people with pure motives and people who let Jesus shine, not just by the way they talk, but by what they do. It's easy to talk the talk, but to walk the walk means so much more. We can go through our lives and tell everybody what they want to hear. We can represent ourselves in that fashion, but when they see us doing something contrary to what we're talking about, the hypocrisy shines through. And then there's a bad rap for God and for Christianity. They need to see people who live a life that's pleasing to God. Now, the next thing we're going to talk about here has to do with kind of an acceptance issue. Every generation has their fashion that they went through. People that lived in the 50s, poodle skirts and grease back hair, leather jackets. People lived in the 60s, smoked a hippie lettuce and hung out in the closet with bell bottoms and lapels the side of hang gliders on their shirts. I was a child of the 70s and the 80s. And I actually tried to look for this one picture. I don't know where it is. I wish I could have found it because I would have put it up there. It would have been great. My mom one time dressed me. I'm going to call it a jumpsuit because I don't know what else to call it. So right off, the, right off the bat, that's a really strong look. So I'm in this jumpsuit, and it's got vertical stripes. Keep picturing this. Turquoise, orange, and white. I had a four-inch white belt on and white shoes. It looked like I was part of the Brady Bunch episode at some point. But the 80s were a time also that I remember, and I know there's two ladies here that remember this very well. Um, there was a store at the mall called the Merry-Go-Round. Anybody remember that store? Right? My wife and her friend here today as well had a very good friend that worked there. She was pretty, very flirty, as were most of the girls at those places, and they dressed in relatively provocative outfits to lure the guys into the store. And most of the guys, in honesty, would go in just to check out the chicks and really didn't care. But once they got inside that store, then, all the, then the game started being played because these guys were just dying for attention. So they would come in there, and these sales ladies, with a little flirt and a little gentle touch on the shoulder, would get these guys to buy the most outlandish outfits and then walk out of the store $200 later. And that girl didn't care if they looked like an idiot or not. She wanted to close the deal and close the sale, and she did. So just because this guy gets some attention from the sales chick, this guy walks out of Marigarand with a pair of Cavaricis, a pink shirt and suspenders, and this dude thinks he's looking good. And the girl sold that whole idea. And the point is, the guy was motivated to buy those things because he felt acceptance from that sales girl. But she wasn't genuine. And every day people are bombarded by sales techniques. Every day friendships are made with the hope of personal gain. And we get tons of telephone calls at our homes by these phone solicitors. And they're so nice when they first start off on the phone. And then as you try to either, if you just hang up on them, you don't hear it. But if they start to talk and you try to nicely tell them, I'm not interested, well, all of a sudden they're not so nice anymore. And they have no problem hanging up on you. 
The world is full of insincerity and fake concern. People are tired of it, and people are ready for someone to be genuine, and people are dying for genuine relationships. And it's easy to love for personal gain. We can pretend and we can play that game. But Jesus showed us the example of unselfish love for others. And is there still unselfish love in the world? Of course there is. It starts with Jesus and it continues with us. And it's our responsibility to be a church that's full of genuine Christians. And I want Polaris to be that beacon of light for Brunswick. And I want this church to be a hospital for hurting people. We need to be genuine people. And we need to be making sure this is a loving place where people can come and they can meet God. And we need to be neighbors who care about our neighbors. And when we become that type of church, we can see what God can do through us. And I don't mean care just long enough to make sure that they decide to make Polaris their church home. That's the easy part. I mean care past that point. You know, we meet somebody in the lobby. Hi, how you doing? What's your name? Hey, we're glad to have you here. A couple highs the next time, and pretty soon they're in the seat, and then we're on to the next guy. Hi, how are you? It's not about filling the seats of the church. It's about being genuine. We need to show these people that we really care. And the next thing we need to do is to be transparent. We need to quit being the phony balonies. We need to be real. I mean, at times we all put on a mask. I think we can all agree to that. We put on a mask to appear to be something that we're not. And why do we do it? You put on a mask because we got something to hide. Hypocrites have a lot to hide, so the mask goes on. And too many Christians are counting on the fact that somebody's going to see them and think they got it all together and they got everything in the right place if they put the right mask on. And when we put that mask on, we drive people away from God and we drive good people away from the church. And that's not good. God needs his people to be transparent and to be real. And here's the thing. Uh, Dave kind of brushed on this when he started talking about communion. Um, it's a very simple thing. And I want you guys to let this sink in. The blood of Jesus Christ washed away your dirt and it washed away your filth. It's that simple. And if you believe that to be true, why do you need the mask? You've got nothing to hide. Lose the mask. Be transparent and be genuine. Now, the next little topic here involves us thinking that the world revolves around us. And I tease my wife about that all the time. It's all about Christine. Whatever we're doing, wherever we're going, whatever the time frame is, whatever food we need, it's all about Christine. But in truth, guys, and think about how you answer this because you're sitting next to your wife's, our world revolves around our wives, doesn't it, fellas? Yes. <laughs> Truth is, the best disciples put Christ's interest before their own. Even in the early church, there were only a few disciples that looked out for others before they looked out for themselves. Can I have slide four, please? Page 819 in the Green Bibles. We're in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, 19 to 21. And Paul writes this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interest, but not those of Jesus Christ. We need to look out for others. That's the bottom line. More and more people today serve Jesus and practice their faith until it becomes inconvenient, until it becomes uncomfortable, and then they stop. The whole church thing is out the window at that point. I have to do what? Oh, man, I can't go down and work missions. That's just not me. I need to go where? I need to go to the hospital and visit somebody? Nah, I'm no good at that hospital thing. 
And I should talk to who? That guy at work? Oh, that guy is such a pain. I, I can't, that's not me. That's not my world. We can't be that way. People put up so many walls in their life and they're, and they're happy with their little world and it's so hard to get somebody to even pay attention to you, to smile at you nowadays. Everybody thinks there's, a, there's a, a bad motive involved. So it is very difficult. People are reluctant to let anyone into their little world. So we need to look for new ways to reach them. And God has given us those resources. And the problem that we have is we don't open up our hearts and we don't open up our minds and we don't let the Holy Spirit work in us to see those resources, to see those tools. We need to recognize those things and hear God's voice. And then we need to be very careful on how we use those resources. And the last thing that we need to do is to look for opportunities to witness to people, even when it's uncomfortable. Sometimes we feel we can't witness to people. It's just not what we're good at. God hasn't equipped me to do that. I don't have the tools needed to reach out to people. You do. God is not going to put something in front of you that you can't do. But you need to take that step. You need to, to break out of your shell. You need to walk across the room, so to speak. And maybe some of your neighbors or your family members just absolutely drive you crazy. You have a love-hate relationship with them because they just won't get their life straight. And they're not getting the big picture. They don't know what life's all about according to you. And you're frustrated because you're thinking, you're rejecting everything that you're telling them. And in, inside you're thinking, man, don't you get this? Don't you understand how important this is? And I understand that. Maybe they're even giving up on Christ altogether. But you can't give up on them. Don't stop loving them because they're not coming along in the time frame that you set for them. And we can't be like that telephone sales guy and hang up on them when the comments that we try to give them aren't well received. If you give up on them, then you're casting doubt on God's love for their life. That's not good. And I'm a big fan of deathbed converts. I had a short conversation with Paul Violi after the first service. And it's a very difficult thing for some people to, to actually take in and, and think that it's good. But it is one of the most amazing gifts that God gives us. You could say, I've been following Christ since I've been five years old. And, and I've been walking with him. And then you think this guy here, he's been a, just a complete train wreck his whole life. And yet he found Christ moments before he died. Instead of looking at that as, a, as an angry, jealous type situation, we should look at that as a blessing. That is an incredible gift. You don't know where our lives are going to go. You don't know what's going to happen in the next five, ten years of your life. How do you know where you're going to be at some point? The fact that he can forgive you with one last breath left in your life is an amazing gift. God never gives up on us. There's always hope. And God can get through to anyone. And with you and God working through you, you can get through to that tough neighbor, to that friend at work, to that kid at school. He can soften a heart of stone. The Bible tells us in Ezekiel 36, 26, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. People need Christians to be consistent and caring. Especially to that neighbor who thinks that all Christians are hypocrites. The guy at work that thinks that all Christians are hypocrites. People are tired of phonies. Jesus never gave up on you. He will never give up on you. Don't give up on them. People everywhere in your life, they need you whether it's at work, whether it's school, it's in your neighborhood, it's inside your family. They need you. They need you to be real. They need you to be genuine. And they need you to love them. And I challenge Polaris to get rid of the hypocrisy and get on with the Lord's business of growing his kingdom. So let's be that beacon of light, that hospital for spirituality. And let the Holy Spirit shine through us and shine in this place. Everybody said amen. 
we're going to have a time of invitation. Uh, this is a time where Marx is going to come up and play. And this is a time where if you've got some prayer concerns that you'd like to put before the foot of the cross and bring it to, uh, bring it to Jesus, I'll be down here as well. We can take those prayers uh, to Christ.